Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading! We are into the depths of November right now. If it's a little cold where you are, I tell you what, let's go on an adventure to heat things up, shall we? Travel all around the universe in a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. My name is Dan. Welcome along. Thank you so much for being there, for playing, following, sharing. This is the show that takes a look inside the solar system, all around it, to search out some of those science secrets that sometimes pass you by. This week, we're chatting to the Kidlit for Climate founder, author and illustrator, Emma Reynolds, who has teamed up with artists all around the world to teach us about some incredible climate activists. It was so important to me to highlight these amazing people who are doing incredible things all around the world. So most people have heard of Greta Thunberg, but a lot of people haven't heard of people like Autumn Peltier, who's an Indigenous activist in Canada, and Takata Ionize, who's an Indigenous activist in the US, and many others in this book. So I wanted to focus on these more marginalised people, whom people might not have heard of, and tell their stories, and show how everyone, no matter how old or how young you are, can make change. And we'll check in with our microbe friends, Benny and Mal. They live inside your gut, and they'll help us take a look at healthy things that you can fill it with. Some of the nastiest diseases, like polio and smallpox, have been virtually obliterated is that enough people have been vaccinated, so the germs have nowhere left to go. It's called population immunity, or sometimes herd immunity. And I've got your questions to answer as always. This week it's all about the oceans and what life would be like if there weren't any. And we'll learn about microwaves in a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. Let's kick things off with your science in the news. Now, the number of jellyfish spotted in waters around the United Kingdom has increased by 32%, almost a third in the last year, according to a survey by the Marine Conservation Society. The most commonly spotted were the huge barrel jellyfish, but also rarer jellyfish have been seen. Now, the populations of jellyfish in waters near the UK vary over time, but scientists think that climate change warming the seas is creating favourable conditions which allows the species to thrive. Now, this is good news for our ecosystem. Jellyfish do do a very important job down there. But it's bad news because it still reminds us the impacts that man-made climate change is having. Also, you might remember a few weeks ago, we spoke about the asteroid Bennu floating across the universe. NASA, the American Space Agency, sent a robot up there to collect some materials and bring it back down to Earth. That happened about 17 days ago. They're currently being examined, these materials, in a special lab in Texas in the United States. It went on for three days and they found the black extraterrestrial powder that they brought back with them from Bennu is rich in carbon and other water-filled materials. This is very important because there's an idea that 
loads of asteroids filled with water very similar to Bennu may have been involved in bringing key materials to Earth when we were born four and a half billion years ago and the fact that other bits of water is floating around the universe that might hint that there is more life out there that's not just us humans. And finally this is interesting, the sheep described as the loneliest in Britain is said to be settling well in her new home. The ewe named Fiona caused quite a stir online. She was pictured living at the foot of some cliffs in the Scottish Highland. On her own, she was there for more than two years, a picture of her went viral, so people went and rescued her, and now she's gone to a farm. She went there very secret, so no one really knew where she was. She arrived last weekend, and she's said to be in a very good condition. Let's catch up with Techno Mum then, one of our favourite gadget geniuses on the show. She knows all of the answers to any gadget questions that you can send her away. Uh, And this week, it's all about smoke alarms. We know they can save people's lives, but how do they actually work? How does a smoke alarm know that there might be a fire nearby? Let's find out with Techno Mum. Techno Mum Fast Files. That's a sound you never want to hear for real. That's right, a smoke alarm. Everyone knows they save lives, but how do they work? Smoke is made up of tiny particles. That's just another word for, well, bits. And that's the reason why smoke can leave a smell on clothes or make you cough if you breathe it in, because the particles get stuck on things. Some smoke alarms have tiny lights inside, and if the smoke particles get in the way of the lights, the alarm is activated. A different type of alarm uses chemicals, which give out an electrical charge. Smoke particles inside the detector change the amount and type of electrical charge and this sets off the alarm but whatever type you've got they won't work if the batteries are flat why not ask a grown-up to test them today techno mom with the institution of engineering and technology advancing and sharing knowledge all right let's get on with my favorite part of the show because i love answering your questions i love finding out the stuff that you are here thinking the stuff that you're wondering that you're curious about And remember, if there is anything that you want answered on this show, make sure you leave it as a voice note for me on the free Fun Kids app or at funkidslive.com, just like this one. Hi, Dan. I want to know how a microwave works. All right, then. How does a microwave work? Well, a microwave works by using radio waves. Now, let's think about how we heat food up in an oven, right? That throws out... Very hot air, which puts heat energy on the outside of the food that slowly moves inwards and heats up the rest of it. Microwaves almost work in reverse, really. The radio waves made by the microwaves are pushed around the little box that you push your food in and it spins around on the little tray in the middle, doesn't it? And they transfer an energy to the water molecules inside the food. It makes these molecules move very, very fast. They're moving so fast, that makes them hot, there is a chemical reaction, and that in turn heats up the rest of the food, so it goes from inside out. And the spinny plate in the middle, that helps all the different bits of water heat up at the same time. And the box, the metal box that it's in, helps keep that radiation, keep the waves inside. And that's how a microwave works. Thank you so much for the question. Uh, This one is from Lucy in Scotland, who sent it to me as a message over at funkidslife.com. Lucy wants to know, what would the world be like if all the oceans didn't exist? 
Well, it wouldn't be good, Lucy. Without the oceans, the world loses 97% of its water. Almost all of it. And that would mean there would be no rain because there's no water to evaporate through the air to become clouds. So there would be no clouds to make the rain, therefore no rain. If there's no rain, it means plants can't grow. They can't make energy. Animals can't eat. So there are no more animals, really. We would have nothing to drink. We would also have nothing to eat. Doesn't matter if you're a, if you eat meat or if you're a vegetarian, there would be nothing left for you to eat or drink. So all life would die off very quickly if there were no oceans, Lucy. Uh, thank you so much for the question. Listen, if you have anything that you want answered next week on the show, make sure you leave it as a voice note for me. Couple of ways that you can do that. Open up the free Fun Kids app, click record a message there. If you get to funkidslive.com and you find the Science Weekly page too, we've got a big button on there where you can record your message so I can listen, so I can do the digging for you and say hello next week. Hello everyone. I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading! It's the Fun Kids Science Weekly. This week we're looking at something which could help you change the world. It's a brand new graphic novel. It's called Drawn to Change the World. It's by Emma Reynolds, who created Kid Lit for Climate, who you might have seen about online. Emma, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's talk about Drawn to Change the World then. This is a book. It's been illustrated by 16 fantastic youth activists from all around the world. What made you want to uh, talk about the climate crisis and these messages through a graphic novel? So it's illustrated by me and 15 other artists from around the world about these amazing 16 activists. And it was so important to me to highlight these amazing people who are doing incredible things all around the world. So most people have heard of Greta Thunberg, but a lot of people haven't heard of people like Autumn Peltier, who's an indigenous activist in Canada, and Takata Ionize, who's an indigenous activist in the US, and many others in this book. So I wanted to focus on these more marginalized people whom people might not have heard of and tell their stories and show how everyone, no matter how old or how young you are, can make change. If we don't know about them, how are you and these 15 fantastic artists finding out enough to tell their stories in this book? That's a really good question. So I got involved with looking at what the youth activists were doing since 2019. And I've basically been following their journeys on social media since then. So I did a lot, a lot of research. I looked at all their past tweets, which I've been kind of taking screen caps of and checking their journeys throughout all this time. I interviewed a lot of them as well, who were kind enough to give me their time. And yeah, that's basically how I came up with this list of activists from around the world. So I wanted to make sure it was a broad range of people. And yeah, it's just because I've been following this so closely that I found all these people. So a lot of them are well known within the circles. It's just they don't get the same media attention that people like Greta Thunberg get. Now, there are quite a lot of them that you've spoken about and, and written about and drawn about, as, as we've mentioned. 
mentioned. Uh, and it, it's hard to single any out, but what are some really inspirational stories that you've discovered while researching this book? So, yeah, like you say, they're all amazing people. They're all doing incredible things. I think someone I'd really like to highlight is Daphne Frias. So she is a Latina activist who lives in Harlem in New York City. And she has cerebral palsy, which means she uses a wheelchair and she struggles with health issues and she is a disabled advocate. And what she does so brilliantly in her activism is point out what environmental racism is. Now, it might sound like a really big term and you might not have heard of it, but basically it means that people who are black, who are people of color, who are Latina, Latino, all of these people bear the brunt of environmental hazards because these polluting factories are deliberately built in those places instead of through majority white communities. And that happens all over the world. And it especially affects indigenous people who are constantly dealing with these leaking oil pipelines. So Autumn Peltier and Takata Ionaiso are mentioned in the book as well. They are dealing with this constantly. They're still fighting to get these pipelines, most of which were built illegally, breaking treaties. They of constantly fighting for these rights. And yeah, that was something I think is really important to highlight because a lot of people haven't heard of environmental racism and how much it affects these communities. So much can be very overwhelming to us because there is a lot to focus on where we look at the climate crisis and what we need to do and who we need to help and how much we need to think about. With this book and with Kidlit for Climate, how do you go about like keeping us going, keeping up the inspiration of trying to change things when it seems such a daunting task to us at times? That's a really good question. So I think it's absolutely valid and important to feel those feelings and it is overwhelming. But I think the most important thing is to remember the news is negative for a reason. Bad news sells papers and gets more media clicks and therefore gets more advertising revenue. So if you think, oh, the news is always so negative, the world's terrible, that is by design, that's deliberate. But there is good things happening all the time. It's just that we don't hear about them as much. And it's our job to have what's called radical hope. We have to imagine a better future because it is possible. And this is what these young people do. They don't do it alone. They work in community, they work together, and they are imagining a better future, which is possible, a future which is greener, more fairer, more equitable for everyone. And it's really important for us to have this hope, but it's not just a hope based on nothing. It's a hope based in action. And it's not an option really to fall into doomism because If you fall into doomism, we're just letting these oppressive systems, which caused the crisis in the first place, from billionaires and huge oil companies to continue as business as usual. They want us to give up, but we can't. We can't let them win. And we have to have radical hope and take action in our communities. That is how I stay focused on the journey ahead and how I have hope that we will change things. And you're really helping us do that as well with this book, So Drawn to Change the World, as I say, and you founded a Kidlit for Climate. Just take us through what that is, if someone hasn't heard of it, and what you're aiming to do with that online. So the hashtag Kidlit for Climate came about in 2019 when I saw the youth climate, climate strikes come over to um, Europe in a big way. And at first, they weren't seen in the press in a positive light like they are celebrated a bit more now. And it really bothered me that people weren't taking these young people seriously. So I created this hashtag and made a creative brief and put it online for authors and illustrators to 
illustrate a protester and put it online to show solidarity. So it's a solidarity campaign with the youth climate strikers who were striking for school from Fridays. And it absolutely went viral. It went, I thought I'd get maybe 50 illustrations sent to me, but I, in the first two weeks, I've been sent a thousand. And then years on, I, it's countless thousands. I've lost count. But yeah, the, that campaign inspired me to make this book. Um, I didn't want to just focus on us adults doing these nice illustrations. I wanted to bring it back to the activists who we'd made the campaign for in the first place and to focus on these youth activists' journeys. But a lot of the illustrators in the book I actually found through the campaign, that illustrated campaign, Kid Let for Climate. So with the book, Drawn to Change the World, um, we mentioned how it's a graphic novel. There are these this, this artwork from artists all over the world. Just tell us the different kind of styles and qualities that these fantastic artists have brought that makes the book so unique? Yeah, it was so amazing working with so many artists I admire so much. I was fangirling over a lot of them. Some of them I knew uh, only from uh, when I reached out about the book, but some of them I've been following for years. So, oh, who shall I pick to talk about this? They're all amazing. So Devon Holsworth is a fantastic illustrator. She uses gouache and colored pencil to make her artwork. Anusha Syed, does beautiful colours. I love her character designs. Erin Hunting's artwork is a bit more cartoony. They have big eyes and really fun expressions. And there's just so many. They're all different colour schemes. So Tia Duval's work is very like pink, purple and blue toned. Everyone's just done an amazing job. So it's really engaging looking through each activist because they all have a different art style to express the different activists. Well, you can see it all. The book is Drawn to Change the World. Uh, it's by, well, Emma Reynolds and loads more fantastic artists. Uh, Emma, thank you so much for, for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Now, for this week's Dan, where we look at some of the most mean, weird, strange and unique creatures across the universe, we are headed to the island of Hawaii. It's an idyllic state of America lying in the Pacific Ocean. It's home to some very creepy, creepy crawlies. Now, caterpillars all around the world are vegetarians. They all over leaves and munch on them. Really, that's all they eat, apart from in Hawaii. There are 20 native species of caterpillars there that were born there that call it their home. 18 of them are carnivores. Now, scientists don't really know why, but on islands all around the world, in closed communities where there aren't really predators from anywhere else, we do see that evolution throws up interesting creatures with strange ways of getting their dinner. Now, these caterpillars are a luscious green and brown colour. They camouflage themselves on leaves or plant stalks, and then when another insect is nearby, normally a fruit fly, they flick their heads up, they stretch their body out, and they open their strange mouths wide. Now, when they attack, imagine one of those Venus flytrap plants. Have you ever seen those plants that manage to eat prey? Or maybe something like an alien from a sci-fi horror movie. It's really weird. It's like, I think, from Doctor Who, kind of, uh, their mouth flares wide with about five teethy leg things that stick out. And then they chomp down, they clamp over the prey and they munch it, they get to work, and it's really weird. It's incredible what the world can throw our way. 18 of the 20 species that live on Hawaii 
are unlike any other around the world. They are carnivorous, and that puts them on our dangerous stand list. Let's join our microbe friends, Benny and Mao. Benny and our pal Mao. Uh, we've been chatting to them for the last few weeks, learning about some demanding dilemmas, ethical decisions, uh, which means you have to face a difficult choice between what's wrong and what's right. Now, Benny and Mao, they are microbes, so they live in our gut. They're very focused on what we should eat. This time, they want to make sure we are filling ourselves with things that is healthy. Benny and Mal's Demanding Dilemmas, with support from Nuffield Council on Bioethics. Alright, Benny and Mal here. Yeah. We're teasing out a few demanding dilemmas for you. Big word, isn't it? Dilemma. It just means having a difficult choice to make. You choose. Like whether to have a delicious bowl of ice cream or some nice sponge and custard. Good example, Mal. I love a bit of custard. You might not know this, but an ethical dilemma is a difficult choice about the right thing to do. You choose. Like if there is only one piece of sponge left and everyone's already had a helping, who gets the last bit? Dear old granny, because she's the oldest, or you, because you're a growing kid. And here's where it gets really interesting. Some ethical dilemmas are about difficult choices we have to make about how we use science. You choose dilemmas about science. Not sure I get what you mean there. Science is all around us. It helps us do a massive amount of stuff. But just because we can do some things, well, that doesn't mean we should. Yeah, imagine how upset your granny would be if you had that sponge. Ew, I had my eye on that cake and now it's all gone. Do you want that on your conscience? Alright, calm down, mate. You choose. And I have had more than enough of that sound effect now, Mal. So let's talk about infectious diseases. Sneezes, sneezes, spread diseases. Infectious diseases. That's right. We all get coughs and colds, but some more serious infectious diseases can kill. In fact, one in ten of all deaths in this country are from infectious diseases. The fact that it isn't more than that is largely due to vaccines. Vaccines are medicines, often injections or nasal sprays, which give your body some instructions for fighting these diseases. When you're a kid, your parents are encouraged to get quite a few of these for you to protect you against horrible illnesses like measles, whooping cough, German measles and rubella. That's the ones. Vaccines are a way of giving people immunity to diseases. Adults get them too sometimes. So the question is, how much choice should people have about whether they and their children have vaccinations? Yeah, why should the government be able to tell me what to put in my body? Surely that's up to me. It's a very good point, Mal. That's called autonomy. Autonomy? Isn't that looking through a telescope at the moon? Nah, mate. Autonomy is controlling what happens to you and your body. Many people agree that people's bodies should be private, and that includes whether or not they take medicines. I mean, I don't mind taking medicines when I'm poorly, but if it's just in case, well, maybe I'd rather not. What if I have a horrible reaction? Unlikely, and reactions might be a lot less horrible than catching the disease. And the only reasons that some of the nastiest diseases, like polio and smallpox, have been virtually obliterated is that enough people have been vaccinated, so the germs have nowhere left to go. It's called population immunity, or sometimes herd immunity. Herd? 
What am I, a cow? <laughs> but if most people are vaccinated, then maybe I don't need to be. And if most people thought like you, then polio would be laughing, wouldn't it? But hang on. OK, all those diseases might have died out. Isn't that because we know a lot more about germs in general? People wash their hands and keep things cleaner than they did back in the olden days. Fair point. Infection control doesn't only mean vaccines. Hygiene is extremely important too. But perhaps the more angles of attack, the better, surely? I still don't see why I should be told what to do with my own body. Well, in this country, routine vaccinations aren't compulsory. The government prefers to encourage people to see the benefits in vaccinations and make it easy for people to get them at the right times. Other countries fine or even imprison people for skipping their children's vaccinations. Different ways of tackling the same problem. So, as you can see, it's a right old dilemma. A demanding dilemma. A positive brain-busting bioethical bamboozler. I wonder which side you'll agree with. YouTube. Benny and Mal's Demanding Dilemmas with support from Nuffield Council on Bioethics. And that is it for this week's Fun Kids Science Weekly. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We are back next week with more from Techno Mum and Benny and Mal, plus a very special guests and more of your questions answered. If there is anything that you want sorted on the show, make sure you leave it as a voice note for me on the free Fun Kids app or at funkidslive.com. Now, we have loads of brilliant series and podcasts, some you've heard today. We've got tons more wherever you get your shows, Google, Apple, Spotify. Uh, we're on the free Fun Kids app and at funkidslive.com and Fun Kids, we're our children's radio station from the UK. Listen all over the country on that free app, on our website. And if you've got a smart speaker, make sure you wake it up and ask it to play Fun Kids. Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading!